welcome back to Coffee and Cannabis, the series where I interview professionals, researchers, and thought leaders in the cannabis space to help bring you deeper insight to who these individuals are and how they're shaping the cannabis industry. In today's episode, I'm joined by Lauren Wilson. Lauren is a best-selling author who just launched two books under Snoop Dogg's media outlet, Mary Jane. The two books are CBD Solution Wellness and CBD Solution Living. In the episode, we talk about the importance of using cannabis with intent, the confusing CBD laws and regulations, and how Lauren switched careers from business to cooking to writing. And just to make a formal introduction, um, oh yeah, Lauren, welcome <laughs> to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you. Um, and, you know, we, we were just discussing a little bit um, about writing and about marketing. And I'd really love to dive into um, why you left Canada, because it seems like a lot of Americans are trying to enter and, and, and go the other way around. But before we leave the country, I'd love to know a little bit about you. Um, before you, you know, went to the United States and were in Canada, I know you did you did a marketing degree at McGill, right? I did. <laughs> so why why marketing? What what kind of pushed you in that direction? Oh, such a good question. Um, well, you know, I think that one of my major gripes with how education works is the fact that, I mean, things are changing and, mm -hmm. and career paths look very different now, but certainly it's hard for a 17 year old kid to decide what they should it's study so in college, true. It's so true. right? So, oh gosh, college, <laughs> I've, I'm fully Americanized now. I don't even say university anymore. Oh, um, uh, but so, you know, when I was a kid, a 17 year old kid, I thought I'm gonna go to business school and mm -hmm. I'm gonna become a you know, successful business person and right. I'm going to make all this money. And then I got, you know, a couple years into my degree and realized that it, it wasn't really, it wasn't really for me. Mm. It wasn't really what I wanted to do, but I finished my degree. And then out of college, I worked for an environmental nonprofit for a couple mm. of years because I felt like that was in line with kind of my values and what I wanted to do with business training. Mm. And then I just kind of completely changed gears and went to chef school. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, yeah. I, I really respect that. And I think there's there's such this big pressure of, like you said, when you're young, when you're 17 and you need to decide what degree you want to pursue and consider all the avenues that 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 leads to. It's impossible to to paint that picture so early on. And a lot of people have pivoted. Um, and so after that, so what led into cuisine? What led into chef school? Yeah, good question. So, um, well, I'm a half Italian person. Okay. And so food has always been a really big part of my family experience. Of I grew up with my mom's Italian family and it was part of my cultural identity, it was part of my family identity. And it's always been a way that, a really important way for me to just spend time with other people and enjoy the company of other people. Food is always really a lovely part of that for me. And so it felt really natural for me to go to chef school and try to pursue something in food. I really thought that I was going to go on to become like the next Thomas Keller or run my <laughs> right. own restaurant. Right, and right. really, like I really did want to create 
enjoyable communal food experiences for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to chef school and I, I went to George Brown in Toronto and I had an absolute blast at chef school. I very mm-hmm. much enjoyed it. And then I started working in industry and there were lots of it that I enjoyed, but I did then very quickly realize that I didn't want to run my own restaurant mm-hmm. and I didn't want to pursue becoming a chef at that level because it's a hard life. Mm-hmm. It's, it uh, you know, I was working six days a week, like 12, 14 hour days. I had one day off a week and I would literally sleep, eat and do my laundry wow. and then go back to bed and do it all over again. And and it was physically exhausting. Of course. But it wasn't it just wasn't doing the mm thing that I thought it would for me. Mm, um, as much as I love food and I loved learning, the, the kitchen life was not the life for me. And I I pivoted into teaching uh, cooking classes. And that was where I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Interesting. Um, And so, yeah. So, (laughs) so that was, that was kind of my journey in food. Getting to the teaching part was really when I started to realize that this was kind of the thing that just fulfilled me most in food and being with people and creating those communal experiences. Being in the kitchen is not easy and restaurants operating on razor thin margins um, and the types of stress that are involved in running a restaurant are not for everybody. Um, But I really, you know, empathize with with what you said there. And I like that you found you you found that value of helping other people and providing to other people by teaching them. Um, Now on to writing and on to writing about cooking, one of your books that really caught my eye that we talked about was the the Walking Dead cookbook, <laughs> the official cookbook. How did that materialize? How did it come to be? And can you explain how someone can survive an apocalypse? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. If the zombie apocalypse happened right now, mm-hmm. I live in New York City. Oh, I don't, God. Even though I probably have more skills than the next uh, person, yeah. I uh, sincerely doubt I would survive a zombie apocalypse just because <laughs> population density uh-huh. works against you in a zombie apocalypse. Um, but so, yeah, so basically when when I was working in kitchens, I was feeling really burnt out and tired. Um, I started to think about other things I could do in the food world. That's when I started writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wrote for a long time for this website in Toronto called BlogTO. Yeah. And I was writing about restaurants and I was writing about, you know, the local culture, food and what was going on. I was going to events. I was doing all this fun stuff really just for fun and to use a different part of my brain Mm. as it pertained to food. And so I enjoyed writing quite a lot. I continued working, you know, day to day in the food industry. And then I moved to New York and at that point, I had really just been writing for BlogTO. I had done a, a few other like freelance gigs, but I wasn't really trying to make it a thing. But a friend of mine said to me, you know, you're a food nerd and you're a zombie nerd because I'm also a zombie nerd. <laughs> yeah. I like got really obsessed with zombies because yeah. of the game uh, Resident Evil. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I'm just like a very nerdy person I love it. in general. No, no, I, I love I'm, I'm right on the same page. Like, <laughs> Okay, cool. Uh, in any event, he, he's like, you should write a cookbook for the zombie apocalypse. And I thought, wow, that's a cool idea. I would yeah. like to write that book. And then I just, you know, parked it on a burner, a back burner in my brain for probably three years. Mm-hmm. 
And when I moved to New York and I had some free time, I was getting into teaching cooking, but I was kind of like building a network and mm. getting established and I had some free time. I thought, okay, The Walking Dead is on a major network mm. and people are really into this yes. show. So yes. I guess people could potentially be open to do a cookbook <laughs> for the zombie apocalypse. So I felt like, okay, this is the time to do it. So I didn't have a network in publishing and what mm. I had to do was put together a proposal. It took a lot of research and a lot of time. That took me about a year to put together because I put a lot of work into that proposal. It's also, you know, a good chunk of the final book that you end up putting out in your proposal. And then I just cold called every agent in New York City, every literary agent. And there's a lot of them. So that was a whole process. And then I met with a handful of them. I got myself an agent and then went out and sold my book to a small independent press in Texas and wrote my first book, which is The Art of Eating Through the Zombie Apocalypse. Mm. So that book came out in 2014. Um, and it was because I guess I was the only person that had ever endeavored to write a cookbook <laughs> for the zombie apocalypse mm. that I got approached to write the official cookbook for The Walking well, Dead, which is pretty you. cool. They were like, Do, they approached so me? Cool. Well, because I mean, yeah, I was the only person that had done it. So, I yeah. mean, good for me for having that foresight or actually my friend having that foresight because it was his idea, really. Um, but, yeah, so I was approached to do it. And when they asked me if I wanted to do it, I said, of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> Why so, not? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good story. Um, and then from survival guides and from cooking in the apocalypse um, I'm also really interested in cooking with cannabis and how people are infusing cannabis into foods mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm a little bit naive on the subject I did watch a little bit of the show on Netflix cooking with cannabis um, and mm -hmm. I I love the concept and I love that they're using like small um, small doses throughout uh, like a four course meal because people would think like, oh, I'm just going, I'm, you're going to be really messed up by the end of the night because you know, that's so much THC, but it's such minute quantities. It's a nice little microdose. Um, so after cooking and after writing, how does cooking with cannabis come into play and how did you get involved in cannabis to begin with? Yeah. So, well, I will just say one thing, which is an interesting aside, uh, in that, you know, talking about the dosing and cooking is actually a conversation that I'm hearing a lot mm. on Clubhouse mm -hmm. with chefs who work with cannabis. Mm. Um, and it, I mean, I think it is something you have to be, I think you have to have a certain level of, of responsibility around because For you sure. can't just mm -hmm. give people excessive amounts of no. THC during an infused dinner. That's just not fun for anyone. No. And I mean, I think you probably have heard as many, um, horror stories mm -hmm. as I have in and around people mm -hmm. getting into real trouble with edibles right. because once you're on that roller coaster, you can't get off. You can't, yeah. It takes a, it takes a while. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that's something that uh, is very on top, top of my mind. And it was actually the, the concept for the cookbook that I was endeavoring to write after the Walking mm -hmm. Dead cookbook. I, and I still intend to write. It just hasn't happened yet because <laughs> I got pulled in a different direction, yeah. but it's called Edibles Aren't Scary. Ah, I love and that. And it's, it's just like a very, it's a very cannabis naive person's mm. beginner guide to making edibles and trying to understand dosing and understanding how to approach it and all of the other stuff. Um, and so I was endeavoring to write that cookbook um, when at the same time, my relationship with cannabis was really changing mm. because up until that point, I had been, I would say that my relationship with cannabis was pretty superficial mm. in, an, in only in that 
I, you know, started using cannabis as a teenager with friends mm-hmm. for fun. And that was really the extent of my relationship with the plant right. until I was an older adult. Um, and I developed herniated discs in my neck mm. and had a lot of chronic pain. Mm. And <clears throat> was very not happy with the pharmaceutical drugs that I was given to manage the pain. They were really effective, but hmm. they just kind of left me feeling like a zombie the next right. day. If I took them at night, I just really couldn't function the same way the next day. And that was not like something I could do no. as a functioning adult in the world. And so cannabis became a much better option for me as far as pain relief mm-hmm. and being able to function and do what I needed to do. And so once I started to use cannabis a little bit more intentionally as a medicine, then my, I think my myopic view started to expand mm-hmm. because it was like, oh, other people use cannabis mm-hmm. for medicine, it's so much which more. I knew, it's, you know, but it's so much more. And oh, wait, there are people that are advocating for these medical patients. Mm-hmm. And oh, wait, there are advocates who are, you know, fighting against this prohibition and this mm-hmm. disgusting racist history that's mm-hmm. been going on. And oh, wait. And it's, so my view <laughs> of the cannabis landscape just continued to get bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. That was a really wonderful experience. And as I started to meet people in the cannabis space here in New York, um, I was connected with a woman named Eileen Konyechny, and she is an OG medical patient advocate. She's been working with cannabis as an oncology nurse for years and years and years. She was involved in getting the medical program set up in New York State. <clears throat> and she had a book deal. She needed to write a book about CBD. This was back in 2017. CBD was really, you know, picking up steam. Mm. And she had a book deal. She needed to write kind of an introductory guide to CBD for patients, but she wasn't a writer, so she needed help. So we teamed up, and then I helped her write the first book that we did. It's called Healing with CBD. And um, and then from there, I just got pulled into two more CBD-focused books for Mary Jane, mm-hmm. the media outlet. And uh, and so those books do contain some recipes, which is maybe where you're thinking about the cannabis recipe it. overlap. Yeah. Um, but they aren't cookbooks or recipe books specifically. They're, they're nice educational bonus. books that have. Yeah, yeah it's a nice bonus. Yeah. Exactly. That's awesome. Exactly. And yeah. there's there's so many areas that I, I want to take this, especially considering, you know, like you mentioned, there there was a lot of um, a lot of talk about CBD in the media. And as um, as someone that knew there were medical benefits to CBD and that this was something that was non-psychoactive. It could have a lot of, of benefits. I was a little bit scared um, that people were going to think it was snake oil. Um, <laughs> and one of the and, and one of the reasons why I say that is because in the United States, you guys are re- in a really precarious situation with CBD um, where uh, it has to be under that certain threshold of THC, um, but also you can buy it essentially anywhere, right? You can buy it in mm-hmm. in grocery stores, um, gas stations, gas stations, right, right. And mm-hmm. and my my almost trouble with that is I remember reading studies that some of these CBD um, tinctures or some of these CBD formulas that um, stated they had X amount of CBD, sometimes it contained much less sometimes it was double sometimes it was none um yep. and when we look at canada's all of model, those things right right and when we look at canada's model i mean 
there are still testing irregularities, but at least, you know, you can only buy it um, from regulated sources, right? You can only buy it from government retailers. Um, so I'd love to know, you know, uh, your thoughts on that sort of regulation and whether or not, do, do you think you should be able to buy it anywhere? Do you think it should be regulated sources? And, you know, what's kind of the, the state of CBD in, in New York or, or in the United States? Yeah, great question. So many, so many things to unpack there, but I'll try to kind of keep my answer tight. You know, I think that the biggest problem lays in the fact that, you know, it's not a regulated market. Right. We're talking about a substance with some therapeutic medicinal mm. value, whether you want to think about it as a supplement mm. or a medicine, mm. you know, it, it does things in our bodies. Certainly, yes. But it is not regulated. Mm by the FDA. Right. And so this is where all the problems mm. come in mm. as far as um, companies being able to put out products that contain more CBD mm. or less CBD or no CBD mm. or more THC. And so legally, hemp is defined as a plant that is less than 0.3% right. THC. Right. Um, it is a fairly arbitrary marker that mm. um, you know came from some documentation somewhere from some time <laughs> that really, you know, doesn't it I don't it doesn't make any sense mm. really. Mm. Um, and so do I think that CBD should be available everywhere? I mean possibly, but what we really need is some regulation right. in the market. Right. So the, the, you know, the, the examples that you cited of companies kind of being called out have happened because the FDA has decided to step in mm. in some capacity mm. and they have done some random samples of products mm. and called out bad players in the market that are making claims in and around, you know, CBD mm. being able to cure cancer right. and other things right. like that. Um, but for the most part, the FDA isn't regulating anything. Mm. And so there are companies that can go out there and kind of do whatever they want. Mm. And the, the biggest problem is that the onus falls on the consumer mm -hmm. to vet their products. Right. And when we're talking about a consumer base, for the most part, it doesn't know what to look for. They don't, they don't know anything about dosing. They don't know that like, oh, potentially these plants could be contaminated with heavy metals and pesticides mm -hmm. and that's where it becomes really problematic. And in you know the process of writing Healing with CBD and learning mm. about this for the first time, I got really upset because it's not cool, <laughs> you know, for, for folks to have to navigate this really difficult terrain without knowing and potentially buying snake oil because there is snake oil out there. Um, and so that was that was a really, um, pivotal, I guess, time for my career as a writer, because then I became really passionate mm -hmm. about providing this information to people and helping them navigate this journey a little more, because there's nothing that upsets me more than having someone come to me and say like, yeah, I tried CBD, didn't do anything. Like it's, it's garbage. It doesn't work. I've it's, heard it so many times. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then it's like, oh, but yeah, but, uh, but there could be so many reasons mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. You know? Right. It could um, be, it could so. be, maybe they didn't take the right dose. Maybe it wasn't the right method of administration. Maybe it wasn't the right product. Maybe it wasn't, mm -hmm. there's, there's so many factors. And in, in the medical model where I worked, um, it was myself, uh, the educator working alongside the physician, um, and the physician received a referral for the patient from the 
patient's family doctor. So there's this big circle of care and there's this big, as you mentioned, um, there's this there's intent on why the patient is there. And they're being guided, you know, with an educator, with a physician to really help them um, make the best plan for them. And I'm so happy that I, I was able to see that model firsthand. And I think there's that big, big disconnect in the States where, like you said, is I can just walk in a gas station and buy CBD. Um, and it's so easy for people not to see the benefit when they don't see it as something that's medicine. Um, I, I'm yeah. super curious as to, you know, where do you find um the, the best benefits, at least from your, your research, your experience, where, where do you find CBD can be, re, be really effective um, for, for treatment or for, for medical reasons? Um, as, for me personally, I mean, I could list a number of medical conditions that research is looking mm. at, but I think you probably are familiar with many of them. Um, for me personally, I've, I've found the my biggest value from CBD is in managing anxiety mm. and stress. I'm, I'm right there um, with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've personally tried to use it for pain management mm. for, for my chronic mm -hmm. pain. It doesn't, at least I haven't been able to titrate up to a dose high enough mm. that I've been able to effectively manage right. my pain. Um, that being said, as you mentioned, it's not cheap. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. perhaps if I could spend several hundred dollars a month on CBD, I might be able to use it to manage my pain. Mm -hmm. That being said, I know a lot of folks who have like, a, a, you know, a smaller dose mm -hmm. that they can afford to manage and it works for them Great. for pain and they can afford to do it. I am not one of those humans, unfortunately, but I can I make my own CBD oil at home because mm. I have access to hemp. Great. So I buy hemp. That's awesome. I make my own CBD oil and I use it and I find it just really lovely for managing day-to-day -day stress and anxiety. Mm. Honestly, it just, it for me personally, it just helps me feel like a baseline level of mm -hmm. good, yeah. of calm, of centered and for me, that's and but, you know, it's it's interesting because we can talk about two different groups. You know, there are folks that are using CBD for very specific medical mm -hmm. reasons, serious conditions mm -hmm. and illnesses. And there are also I mean, the fact that CBD is everywhere and in everything in America. <laughs> no joke. Yeah. You can get CBD in potato chips, hummus. <laughs> there are CBD. I'm not joking. There are CBD infused like bed sheets. <laughs> Why? Which I mean is because uh, because because it'll make the money. People want to make money, yeah, and yeah. you know, and folks don't know any right, better, right, so they right. think, oh, I'm going to breathe in CBD and it's going to help me sleep better. <laughs> I guess, right? Bed sheets. I've never heard that before. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a real thing. It makes me upset. Uh, but anyhow, the, yeah. the point being, you know, the fact that CBD is available mm. everywhere, you can walk into a gas station mm. and get a pack of gummies, mm. means that. Uh, lots of folks who don't have serious medical conditions mm -hmm. and illnesses are using CBD and engaging with CBD in a more general health and wellness space. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I consider myself one of those humans um, that uses it for general health and wellness. I don't, I don't use it for, you know, a generalized anxiety mm -hmm. disorder mm -hmm. or depression. I just use it to help me feel a little better day to day with, you know, everyday stress yeah. and anxiety. And, you know, I think CBD has a lot of value there, too. Yeah. Um, just in different ways. I think of the two, I mean, pain, as we know, pain is a really complex phenomenon. And the, the degree of pain that you have is, is going to change on the, the reason for it. It's going to change on, you know, the, the, the origin, the location of the pain. And I think, you know, CBD can be effective for certain types of pain. Like I know through my patients, yes. neuro, um, neuropathic pain, it was 
oddly very effective. And I think that that has mm-hmm. to do with the 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 peripheral um, location of, of CBD receptors. But um, I think, you know, it's such a shame that people can't try to use it to the extent and the quantity that they want to experiment because it is so expensive, whereas they they may tend to go um, to their pharmacy and try opioids for long term, which opioids are only meant to be used for a short period of time um, because it's so so much cheaper. So it frustrates me that, you know, this shouldn't be something that only the rich can access and that only people that are that have that money should be able to use. Um, But I think, as you mentioned, one of the the biggest benefits that I think um, CBD is going to have is for for anxiety and for for mood and for, you know, general you know, mood disorders. Like there was even a study done that 30 minutes of exercise can um, be just as effective as Zoloft, one of the the leading anti-anxiety medications. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason is, is that exercise activates your endocannabinoid system, right? The, the same mm-hmm. system that CBD is going to activate. So I mm-hmm. think with enough research, finding a gentler approach for, for anxiety and mood disorders with cannabinoids and through psychotherapy and through really working with it rather than just like you said turning yourself into a zombie um there's i think that's where a lot of the benefit lies and i'm I'm really excited for that i i think you bring up a really important point as well because here's the deal cbd isn't going to solve all your problems right i think that it's it's a tool in what needs to be a bigger toolkit for holistic health. And exercise is a perfect example of that. You know, I work really hard to maintain uh, exercise as part of my toolkit because Mm -hmm. I do know it makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, taking the exercise tool uh, out of the toolkit, diet, you know, CBD. Mm-hmm. I have a whole host of things that I that I think really together, you want to talk about an entourage effect. Mm-hmm. That's an entourage effect for your life, right. you know, having these different yeah. these different tools in the toolkit. A tool in your toolkit is the the perfect way to to explain it because it's not a cure all. A lot of people and a lot of patients that came into my clinic were disappointed that this didn't immediately solve all their ailments. But there there are a lot of factors that go into it, like especially when it comes to insomnia, um, which I, I think it can benefit from. You know, let's say um, you you have a lot of racing thoughts, a lot of anxiety at nighttime. If CBD helps your anxiety, in turn, it'll help you sleep. But if you don't exercise in the day if you have blue light if you use you know your your phone until two in the morning you don't have good sleep hygiene you're not going to sleep well like there is no there's no replacement for sleep um it's part of a a larger system and i think um you know approaching it that way as opposed to the cure-all is really the way that you know we we should go I 100% agree with you. And sleep is a perfect example because so many people use CBD for sleep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like the, in the top three reported reasons for people using mm-hmm. CBD. And the science is, you know, there isn't a lot of science that says that CBD and what CBD does exactly for sleep right. yet. It's still an, an emerging area as far mm-hmm. as scientific study goes. But so many people anecdotally say that CBD helps them sleep. And why is that? Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's it's because it, it probably helps folks relax mm-hmm. a little bit more mm-hmm. and decrease levels of stress and anxiety through different mechanisms than a sedative exactly. would, right? CBD is not a sedative. Mm-hmm. 
in fact, you know, in, in lower doses, and I myself personally experience this, I can't take CBD at night because mm. it'll keep me awake. Ah, so um, that, that's it'll probably, make me feel calm, but it'll make yeah, me feel awake. That's really interesting. And yeah. that has to do with the, the biphasic effect of CBD and that in, Precisely. in low doses, it acts as a stimulant, but in larger doses, it acts as a sedative. And most people don't know this. You need someone to be able to tell you that because if I take, um, you know, two milligram CBD dose before bed, I will probably be up and I, I probably won't sleep well, whereas a larger dose will help me. So that just really hones in how important education is and how important, like I said, um, having educators on your side to help you through this is as opposed to doing it yourself after picking it up from a gas station. Right. But mm-hmm. I, I digress. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we talked a lot about CBD, but I'm curious as to you, what you think about, you know, where THC comes into place as well, um, especially because mm-hmm. we just talked about sleep. I know for some people, um, THC is really instrumental to help them sleep. Um, I'm not one of those people. It will keep mm-hmm. me up um, yep. no matter what. Um, and, and there's even some studies saying, you know, that it can inhibit REM sleep and it's and some people don't mm-hmm. dream, but some people do. So mm-hmm. it, it's just so interesting, the individuality and how people, you know, re- react to CBD and THC. But, you know, for, for you, where do you think um, THC comes into place uh, in the equation? You mean just in general, as far as a medicinal? Co- yeah, I think it has. It, for, I think it has so much. Yeah, it has yeah. so much. It's a, such a highly valuable medicinal compound. Mm-hmm. Sincerely, I mean, you know, I think that there's a the dichotomy that I often see. Um, you know, putting THC as the, as the fun compound mm-hmm. and CBD as the medicinal compound, and that's just not true. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, it, it, talk to any medical patient that uses THC mm-hmm. and they will tell you how much, you know, therapeutic value THC has. So I think that we're definitely headed in the right direction as far as a mm-hmm. greater understanding and appreciation for THC as a medicinal compound. Mm-hmm. Um I think that, you know, there's especially when we're talking about older populations, you know, there is a lot of interest in, in older mm-hmm. in, from older mm-hmm. folks in CBD and, and 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 some hesitation. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, you were in the clubhouse room last night. We were talking mm-hmm. about um, about this. There's some hesitation for folks who are older and messing with THC because right. they're not sure how it's going to make them feel and right, they don't right. necessarily want to get high. And there are some risks associated mm. with perhaps, you know, increased risk of falling or other sure. things happening for older folks. Um, but I think that there's just so much opportunity for for benefit and, and mm. therapeutic value from THC for sure. Um, how do you feel about um, you know, THC and, and creativity. Do you think it's overblown or, you know, as a writer um, and mm. a creative person, do you think that, that there's really a relationship there? <laughs> That's such a good question. I do. I do think that there's a relationship there. I know lots of folks who have, who derive so much value from mm. it. For me personally, mm. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you can relate to this, but Oftentimes, what I, I will feel like I'm having a million fantastic <laughs> ideas, you know, with right, THC, right, right. and then look back at them, and pr- probably half of them are terrible. It's just gibberish, entertaining, yeah, yeah. but terrible. Right. Um, <laughs> right. But then, but that being said, sometimes they're fantastic mm. ideas, mm. Um, and and you know, it's it's something that I've been really navigating for myself recently is my relationship with THC in and around working and productivity because mm-hmm. it, it, I know so many folks and I talk to so many folks that 
use THC regularly and can just go out there and kill their lives and just like do all the things, so be jealous. the productive yeah. human. I can't, I'm not that human. Right. I'm really not, right. you know, which, which is okay. I wish I could be that human, but um, you know, it's, it's as a result, I have to, I have a different relationship with mm-hmm. THC, which mm-hmm. is really just centered around relaxation. I know right. that if I'm going to have THC, mm. I'm just going to chill. Mm. And, you know, if, if I have the urge to be creative in some capacity, great. I often play music and, you know, do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't necessarily be productive. Right. And so when I, I write for a living and so, you know, it's just not part of my day to day writing process. Yeah. Um, but I, but I totally see that it can be very valuable mm-hmm. and fun for people. And you're so right. I wish I was one of those people who could just, uh, and I don't even think it has to do with tolerance, but it's just that that can consume THC in high quantities for, for long periods of time. And, and you would have no idea. They're just a normal, productive, efficient working machine i'm like no there goes half my my processes to to be a human like yeah but but again you know it depends on the dose it depends on the type um i I find on the person i mean my experience with thc has changed a lot over the Mm, years I, i totally agree um, I, I can, you know, I, I, at some points in my life, I've had a very high tolerance, mm-hmm. um, but I don't like it. I don't like getting to that point. You know, I don't like getting to that point as well. And also, um, I just feel like what I've noticed and I'm really curious about, my, I always think about the science. I always think about oh, like oh. what's going on right. in my brain, right, right. what neurons are firing, what deficits mm-hmm. are happening. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and for me, oftentimes you know, the day after consuming THC, I will feel kind of sluggish. A little bit foggy. I mm-hmm. will feel like not as happy. Mm-hmm. Like I definitely mm-hmm. recently, as mm-hmm. I've gotten older, I've noticed this developing. And so mm-hmm. it causes me to have to, mm-hmm. you know, just change my usage really. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, our bodies evolve over time mm-hmm. and, and our endocannabinoid system is changing mm-hmm. all the time. So, yeah, that, it makes that, sense that's to me such that. a good point. And I've seen that um, that same relationship evolve in a lot of people where at first it's like, this is amazing. I can do this all the time. Like I this is this is the best. And then, you know, as as you you, you develop this relationship where, you know, at least for, for me and you, where you use it more as a tool and it's not something that can, you know, be used um, every day. I, at least that's my relationship. But again, I, I really envy and I, I, I respect mm-hmm. the people that are like, no, this this just works for me. Like I think about, um, you know, like, like let's say a figure like Seth Rogen, who um, it, in an interview he was saying, at, even at an early age, he never felt impaired when, when using cannabis and THC. He just felt like, himself and it just clicked with his his you know individual uh genetics Biology. or endocannabinoid system mm-hmm. so it, it's just funny that you know every individual has a different relationship um and uh, it sucks though because i write about weed uh-huh. and i think about weed all the time and i'm thinking <laughs> about terpenes and i'm right, reading right. about these different strains and i'm just like oh <laughs> i just i wish i could i wish yeah. i could just do it all the time every day but i just can't yeah I just and can't. hey that's that's something that you have to to come to accept right <laughs> yes absolutely absolutely often like when i when i meet new people and i explain you know the industry i'm in like what i do I've, I'm always surprised when some people are really turned off and really like, 
like, oh, that's that's not good. Like, like that's bad. And it's like the the brainwashing from from again the DEA and from Dare mm-hmm. and from all these programs is still is still in effect. And like, I mm-hmm. I really think that you know my grandkids and even their kids are gonna go wait wait wait, wait. can't like cannabis was like, illegal. Like you were worried about this. Like people are getting arrested. People are getting jailed for this. Like, mm-hmm. so I, I think that's gonna change over time. But like for you. Um, have you found the same thing that this kind of disconnect of explaining what you do? Do you have, do you have any like stories of people being kind of taken aback, uh, or, or not liking that? Um, um, well, first of all, no, I never think of, I never think mm-hmm. about it. I mm-hmm. never worry about what people are going to think right, again, right. because it's like, like, who cares? What? Yeah. Like, who yeah. cares? It's like weed, man. Yeah. Like, it's cannabis. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's like, you know, all the things. It's a plan of the... But that's and also, what we think, because you know, we're, we're more progressive. Like, we've been, you know, we've and, been And also, we're just, this. like, we're entrenched in this yes. space, yes, right? We're, so we're in a bubble of mm-hmm. cannabis you know acceptance yeah, and exactly. appreciation yeah. and and also i live in new york city which is a, a, on top of that a hugely mm-hmm. liberal bubble Very to liberal. begin with yeah um you know so i know that there are areas of the country that are definitely not into <laughs> cannabis yeah. you know and very much still against it um but i grew up my mom you know my mom totally literally used the words gateway drug to me as a kid <laughs> yeah. um because that was that was that's what they were that told. was what she yeah. grew up with, yeah. and that's what they were told, and it made mm-hmm. sense to her. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and she was a, someone that grew up in the '60s and smoked cannabis, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But given the fact that you know my mom was very much like you, you shouldn't smoke cannabis. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, I smoked cannabis as a teenager behind her back for all the times. But then it got to a new level when mm-hmm. my career moved in that direction, mm-hmm. and I was now writing a book mm-hmm. about cannabis mm-hmm. um and so it was in and around the time that the walking dead the walking dead book had just come out and i was doing a television appearance and so my mom came to new york to come mm-hmm. watch nice. me on tv and <laughs> and i in the meantime i'm writing this book proposal for this edibles mm-hmm. cookbook and i had a lot of cannabis in my house like my i was i was testing and i was like making yeah. oils and yeah, yeah, yeah. um you know i was buying a bunch of shake from my dealer <laughs> and like i just had yeah. so much cannabis and i was like oh shit my mom's coming mm-hmm. and then rather than like taking it out of my house I just stuck it in my closet and mm-hmm. so my mom showed up at my house I was at work at the time and she just texted me and she's like Lauren your apartment smells like pot <laughs> and I was like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yep <laughs> and so when when you know when I got home from work she's like what's up with this and I was yeah. like well you know I'm working on this cookbook and I told mm-hmm. her and she was like oh cool okay she was like I so like that's that's fine. I get yeah. it. She was actually re- very accepting and cool about it. I guess at this point, because I was now you know an adult, <laughs> right, 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 functional human, yeah. like doing all the things, being an adult. I had done two books, and yeah. I wanted to write another book, and so yeah. yeah. That's a great <laughs> so, story. No, no, that yeah. that's a great story. Um, <laughs> and I, I feel like a lot of people are going through the inverse right now of when their parents told them, you know, when they were a teenager don't don't smoke pot like that's that's gonna rot your brain and then now as they're getting older they're like hey my body really hurts can you now like can you get me a bomb or an oil or a something i don't want to smoke but a bomb or an oil so i i really find it funny that now the tables have turned um my mom asks me, well, you know, frequently, I have yeah. this friend and this is what her problem <laughs> yeah. is. Like, can she, can she use CBD uh, for that? So, yeah. I've heard that so many times, so yeah. many times. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when I, when I worked at the clinic, um, it was always, well, that's 
I'm sorry to hear that they're having this trouble, but here's a referral page. Like, tell them to go to their doctor, have them come in, speak to a physician. I'm just a dude um, who (laughs) is a big cannabis nerd and helps the doctor, but I cannot diagnose or prescribe or, you know, you got to. Yeah. And that's that's what I loved about the medical model. But, yeah, things are changing. And I'm, I'm so happy about that. As am I, I think that going forward, um, you know, I really, I, I feel really hopeful and excited about, you know, the conversations that we're seeing on places like Clubhouse Mm -hmm. that are bringing together folks like you and me that are bringing together researchers and scientists, Mm -hmm. you know, like Jehan Marku, and that are bringing together people from industry who are running cannabis brands or, you know, growing plants Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, I think that it's those kinds of conversations where we have all of these Mm -hmm. different folks at the table together is important because I think from from where I sit, I think education is so important mm-hmm. um, as part of the consumer experience going forward and can only benefit um, folks and help them have better experiences. Because like, you know, like we touched on earlier when folks are like, I tried CBD and it did nothing. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, okay, but there could be lots of reasons. And if folks just have a few tools in their CBD or THC or cannabis toolkit, mm-hmm. they can have better experiences, you know, and it's not... and you know, science can get dense and it can get heavy and it can get confusing and people's eyes glaze over. And that's, you know, I'm sure you can relate. That's the challenge as a science communicator. You know, you look to people like Carl Sagan or like Neil deGrasse Tyson or even Jehan Marku, I think is so talented at being able to talk about these things in such an approachable, accessible way. And putting it into layman's terms. I, I, I really appreciate him. And I, I think, um, you made a great point about it's about a collaborative collaborative effort there are so many people with different strengths and different areas of expertise um within cannabis and having everybody kind of on the same page um it is really um this is where you know stigma ends and and people start to to get better and people start accepting uh Mm -hmm. cannabis and cbd and i'm super excited for that um, Me too. I really want to thank you for coming on, Lauren. You were you were fantastic. You have a Yay. book that just came out today. It's March 30th is when we recorded this. Uh, where can people buy your book? The book is called um, The CBD Solution Living. It is available wherever books are sold. It's um, <laughs> part of a series of three books, actually, done by Mary Jane, <clears throat> who is... Um, you know, Snoop Snoop owns half that media mm-hmm. enterprise. Yeah. And so it's a cannabis culture news site. They decided to do a book of uh, a series of books on CBD. Mm-hmm. So the CBD solution wellness, the CBD solution sex and mm-hmm. the CBD solution living. I did the wellness and living books and this really wonderful sex educator named Ashley Manta. Mm-hmm. She goes by the moniker, the canisexual. She did the book on sex. And so all three are now out and available in the world. Um, the CBD solution living really is kind of a, a perfect end cap to the CBD solution series, but more so it's a great companion to wellness because wellness is kind of like your CBD 101 guide. Mm-hmm. It'll tell you what CBD is, what the compound is, what the endocannabinoid system is. It'll give you kind of those tools. And then living just goes through every room of your house and talks about the different ways that CBD can touch your life and can be used day to day. So I love yeah. it. That's so awesome. Yeah. I'm gonna, I promise yeah. I'll buy 10 copies on Amazon right now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't buy 10. That's too many. I, I really Actually, appreciate let it. me just send you a copy. I would you be could. so happy. I, I will mad. do that. I, I, I will wouldn't do that. be mad. <laughs> Yay. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, my pleasure. 
If you have made it this far, thank you for tuning in. I couldn't do this without your support and I appreciate you. And if you want to hear a little bit more from Lauren, you can follow her on Instagram at Lauren does this. You can also go to her website. It's laurenmwilson.com. And as always, if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow, give me a shout. My website is coffeecannabis.ca or give me a shout on Instagram at coffeecannabispodcast. And I will catch you next time. New episode in two weeks.